All right, well, welcome. Here we are again doing our, our little mini-sodes is what we're calling them for now. Um, I, my name is Mickey Seba. I am the catechetical specialist here for the um, St. Philip Institute of Catechesis and Evangelization and my co-host. I'm Deanna Johnston, the director of Family Life, and my associate is back. <laughs> yeah. <Deanna Johnston. laughs> And we had so much fun with Sister Josephine last time, just talking about coping during quarantine. And there was a lot more we wish we could have gotten to in that conversation. So we um, asked her to come back. And we're so grateful that you're here. So could you just introduce yourself to those who are watching? Sure. My name is Sister Josephine. I'm a sister of the Holy Family of Nazareth. Uh, that's an international congregation all around. Uh, but we are also in Tyler, Texas, here uh, at a hospital convent, but I'm the school counselor at our cathedral grade school. And you do an amazing job. My kids just love you. Just love you. So today we are going to get into a little bit more of, um, I guess, philosophy about coping, uh, the importance of affecting effective coping skills how that enhances our spiritual life, our faith, our relationship with God, and our relationship with others. And sister, I know you're just going to provide us with a wealth of information. Um, so today we're going to be laying a lot of groundwork, but we are going to do this in two parts. So we're going to have part one, laying down some groundwork, and then part two, we are going to talk a little bit about the neuropsychology of coping. Is that right, sister? And, okay. <laughs> I'm not really used to all of the vocabulary and how to use it. Okay. So we're going to talk about that in part two and also some examples of coping skills um, and putting together like a coping plan. So that's going to come along in part two, but we really wanted to talk about the importance of coping in general and our faith life and our mental health. So, um, Sister, do you want to, to sort of intro this before we sort of dive into questions and go more into depth? Sure. I'm going to actually start us in just the simplest of prayers. We can pray together. Um, all glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now and will be forever. Amen. Um, and so I think like the reason that we're one of the the reasons we're starting in part one this way is because in our email exchange, uh, one of you kind of made a really great point. Like, I'm Catholic, right? So my life of sacraments and my prayer life should be enough for addressing my stress, anxiety, depression, whatever mental health stuff presents itself. And so I think that got us in a conversation of like, well, how does using coping skills, coping tools, understanding even what coping is, how does that help me be a better Catholic? Uh, a better man, a woman of, of God, like how does that help me in my pursuit of holiness? Um, and so that's why we thought we would do that first in part one, and then in part two, get to some of that more science, practical stuff, practical coping skills for us as Catholics. When I was getting ready for this, and this is something that I found interesting, and I, it never clicked until I read this, but um, whenever we say the Our Father at Mass, there is a prayer that the priest says right after that, do you know what it tells it? Do you know what it says to protect us from? Um, anxiety? Is it anxiety? You, yes. What? You get a hundred. Great job. Sister. Nice. <laughs> but yeah, it does. In it, it says, in your mercy, keep us free from sin and protect us from all anxiety. 
Be- yeah, because God knows, God knows how much uh, of human, our humanness can get caught up in that. And um, the fact that you you brought that up, um, dealing with, um, you know, our mental health, and I just thought that it is important for us to really pay attention to um, being mentally healthy and what that means and then why this whole thing is important. But again, when I was reading, I was like, I don't know what they say. And I was trying to go through the prayer of what the priest says. And I'm like, that's fascinating. So calling upon God to protect us from all anxiety and learning effective coping is one way to do that. Um, I know one of the things I wanted to do was define coping. It's really simple definition. It's effectively handling a difficult experience. Um, and so those, the tools or strategies we use, they serve that end. Um, and I don't want to jump too far ahead of the prompts that you have, Mickey, but I, I know that y'all also in our conversations, we talked about what coping is not. And I think it's really important to talk about that too, because the things that coping is not, excuse my bad grammar, um, are also things that can kind of trip us up in the spiritual life too. And so coping is not defense mechanisms. And I just want you to know, as I say that, I'm talking to myself because your girl got all of them and (laughs) constantly working on being purified in that area. So coping is like effectively handling our struggles, effectively approaching um, going towards and moving through difficult experiences. When we start using defense mechanisms or like not helpful coping, it usually means we're moving away or avoiding denial, um, something called displacement, you know, where I am yelling at my spouse, but I'm really mad at my boss. That's called mm-hmm. displacement. That's not effective coping. <clears throat> Rationalization. I know some of you Catholics out there are just so smart. Um, <laughs> so sometimes we can use all that smartness uh, to be a hot mess, okay? And so <laughs> rationalization is using our logic, our intellect to justify inappropriate behavior, avoidance, uh, lack of vulnerability. Um, so patterns and behaviors that kind of put up armor. And then numbing, so our addictions, <clears throat> as well as our process addictions, things like that are not good coping. Um, but coping, with the definition of it is effectively handling a difficult experience. I'm really glad that you made that distinction. And I worked in, I worked in high school teaching for a really long time. And many times my students thought playing a video game was effective coping. I said, what do you do to de-stress? And maybe sometimes it is, but I couldn't come up with like, well, maybe this isn't. Um, because at that time, I didn't really have a list of good, effective coping skills <laughs> for teenagers. Um, but the fact that what looked, what they thought was coping because it helped them step away from the difficult situation was not actually them learning how to handle it, just postponing it. And so I'm glad that you brought up, and there were a lot more other things that you mentioned about um, what was not effective coping that I was like writing those down. Because I think it's important to distinguish between the two. Yeah. And to just know, like, and to know that, you know, um, and to know what we're doing. Because I even think like the awareness is effective coping. I can remember once I was in school and um, I was studying for for clinical mental health counseling. And one of our assignments was to 
determine a group of people that we have a strong bias towards, but have no experience of. And, um, and so I talked with my professor and I realized that I had a very strong bias and I want uh, everybody listening to take your hand off the comment button and let me finish, okay? <laughs> I have a very strong bias. Oh, snap. <laughs> right, towards um, like people who describe themselves as radical feminists. And so my professor said, do you know anyone who describes himself that way? And I said, no. And she said, well, that's your assignment to go and spend some time with people who describe themselves that way. I was very anxious going to do this. Um, and so I found like a group of people who were having a meeting, like their monthly radical feminist meeting. And here comes the nun, right? Like sitting up in there. And I told them I was coming. And I sat down and I touched my scapular, this front part of my habit, and I felt something. And I'm thinking, what is in here? And I had stuck a granola bar in my scapular, like unconsciously. Okay. <laughs> that is not good coping, right? But in that moment, I was able to realize, oh, I'm struggling, you know? Oh, I'm struggling. And then to use some good coping, like to name in my mind what I was struggling with. Um, so yeah, this is an example. Granola bar, not good coping. <laughs> Staying in our mind what we're dealing with, good coping, good coping, so. <laughs> I love that story. That's great. How did that meeting go, just out of curiosity? Oh, my eyes were open. Um, I mean, I didn't go back for a second one. But um, the woman who was speaking, uh, who spoke to that group of people that day was in her freshman year in the House of Representatives, and she was actually Catholic and had gone to Ursuline. Um, and so I really think God put me there for her. We had a beautiful encounter. Yeah. Oh, well, that's beautiful. <laughs> All right. So, so now that we sort of gave a little intro into what coping is, um, how can determining good coping skills and tools enhance someone's spiritual life? our life of faith, our relationship with God. Yeah, so I think like when I was exchanging with y'all, and sorry to think about that, it actually took me kind of back to the beginning and I promise I won't go back to the beginning in a long way, right? So I'm not gonna go Genesis to Revelation, but it took me back in the sense of being made in the image of God. And so I, I'm not a theologian, so forgive me if I misstepped. Um, the Saint, uh, Saint Pope John Paul II, he has that wonderful description, that explanation of being made in God's image that he gives us in theology of the body, where it means that we're called to, to be in communion and to be, to be gift. And so he has that great quote that we cannot, man cannot find, fully find ourselves. Um, it only, we can only find ourselves in the sincere gift of ourselves is essentially what he says. And so there's something the sisters say that I love um, that they say to us in formation, like the purpose of formation is an ongoing process of like self-possession and self-mastery because they say we can't give something that's not in our hands that like we don't have possession of. And so when I think about our life, like the way that we're made and our common vocation to holiness, to return to the Father, and that like being an ongoing process of like self-possession and self-donation, like the deeper my self-possession, the self-mastery, the deeper the, the gift. And so when I think about that ongoing process, where coping skills come into that is they aid me in holding on to myself in a deeper way, you know, in a more profound way. Um, and we have to remember we're embodied. Um, we're embodied. And so we live out that process of being called to holiness in our bodies. You know, it's like, I can't express love without some kind of sign, sign in the body. 
Um, and we all do that at varying degrees based on our abilities that God has given us. You know, we have different people, different abilities among different people. Um, but really it's kind of the body that makes that visible. Um, and so that's how I see the connection between using coping skills, attending to our mental health that helps us, aids us um, in that process of like self-mastery so that we can be gift in our relationships. I um, love that. More fully. Mm -hmm. I love that. And it's such a good reminder that, um, and that quote from, from I think it's, he, he quotes it from Gaudium et Spes. I can't remember what that means in English, but that's the document that, that he's referring to in, in Theology of the Body. Man cannot find himself except through a sincere gift of self. And um, what what was also coming to mind when you were when you were talking was um, I've, I've encountered so many wonderful Catholics that, that mean well, but when it comes to <laughs> defining what, um, or when it comes to processing or dealing with stress or coping uh the tendency is to move more towards well i just need to do another novena if i'm not if i'm not in the right mindset i must not be praying enough and if i'm still stressed then i must i must not be as holy as i should be but like you said we're we're body soul we're body soul and that that can't be separated so we need to tend to both and yeah. by tending to both we can be more fully who god wants us to be and there's a caution there too, because we don't, I read this in an article once, so the, the phrasing of it, I love the phrasing, uh, the, our, we're pursuing union with God in our life and prayer as we approach the sacraments, this is union with God, and so we, we want to be careful to say that like my life of prayer makes me immune to mental health struggles. Be careful with that kind of statement, you know, because you have St. Uh, Saint Therese's father, Louis Martin, he had mental health issues and he's a saint. And so we just want to be like really mindful of the extent, you know, that the conclusions we're drawing will take us to when we say things like, if I were a better prayer, um, I wouldn't have this particular struggle. If I were a more holy person, I wouldn't have this particular struggle. Um, that then goes on to say that um, our and that really, I mean, again, I'm not a theologian, but it's starting to get a little heretical. Um, <laughs> I think we may be in the neighborhood if we say that we can pray away our own sufferings in a sense. So. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think, too, it's important when we talk about the fact that we are body and soul to know that our soul is made up of our intellect, our will, and our passions. And I think sometimes uh, we can't help how we feel or our emotions or our passions and we can do things to to um i guess to keep reins on our passions a little bit better you know so they don't go crazy but to not totally push that aside because god gave that as part of our soul and how to properly align that with our intellect and our will is so important. It's using the soul that God has given us in its proper order and its proper place. And when we do that, we are in fact using what God has given us and using it the best that we can, which is, I would say that's a call we all have to take seriously um, in the same way we have to take care of our bodies, right? That this is a gift that God has given us. And I talk to my kids about proper use all the time. What's the proper use of things, you know, like, oh, should we use the couch as a trampoline? No, because it's not designed to be a trampoline. What can happen? What well, can break? And, uh, and so talking through 
Okay, how do we properly use our body and our soul as an integrated whole um, and use all of the aspects of our soul that God has given us um, ordered in the way that he wants? And that's a lifelong process. Beautiful process. I, I mean, just in my own spiritual life, I, I was at a place where I was like, Lord, I want to be done with these particular wounds, struggles of my passions that I, like, I would love to check the box, right? And it, it's been a process for me just um, in, in being grateful for the process itself and um, knowing that it may not always necessarily be time for everything to be worked out. Mm-hmm. Uh, but to the point that you made, Nikki, about the passions, there's a, something I like to say to individual clients. Um, older kids and adults, you know, because, right, those things come and go. Movements and our passions, thoughts come and go. But, you know, wherever a bird lands, it doesn't necessarily have to nest. Mm -hmm. And so, like, it's in the nesting where we start to kind of start to have some accountability. But in that, just because it lands doesn't mean that it has to nest. And so, um, just to add that to that point about like the movements within our hearts, those passions, discerning that what doesn't need to nest, you know, letting it move on before we act on it or encourage it to remain um, in our thoughts and in our hearts. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, one of the things that you had mentioned in some notes, and I'd love for you to expand a little bit on it, um, but talking about how care for my mental health fits into the care for my spiritual health. And I think we've touched on that. Um, a little bit, but there's also, and our physical health, actually, uh, our physical health as well. But you also mentioned, like, what does this teach our children? You work a lot with children um, and families. So if you could just expand a little bit more on um, the importance of that. My hope for kids, like, the more I just kind of look around at life, look at myself, like, my hope for our kids is that we can just teach them to, to be as great at relationship as they can, like to be virtuous friends. And so I think, I mean, I can see this in my own, like I have a little coping plan and I don't always follow it hundred percent, you know, but I know the, the stuff that's going on in my life that's helping me to show up better in my relationships, you know, to be striving for that. And so that's my hope that we can teach our kids that as we use things like coping to better show up in our relationships, to be better virtuous friends, to be better virtuous spouses, priests, sisters, that they can be also learning how to be virtuous friends. Because, and I remember once I was sitting with the fifth graders and I couldn't have planned it better myself. We were reading a chapter on virtuous friendship and what that looked like between people. And when we're, when we're in a relationship where we want the good for one another um, and we want each other growing in holiness, what that looks like and, and what we call each other to. And their teacher was sitting with us and he spoke up and he said, you know, a virtuous friendship that I have um, is my wife, you know, and in our virtuous friendship, she became my wife. And so he reflected to them that the hope is that if you can learn relationship and be friends as kids and see that, you know, as much as possible, that striving modeling the people around you, then the hope is that we have even more virtuous husbands, wives, priests, and religious. And so it means something for our kids if they, you know, um, if, if we're showing them in simple ways, starting out when they're little, how to show up in relationship in a better way and more fully human um, and more fully present. So that was beautiful. And to even think about that, that is our calling. So we're made in the image and likeness of God, who's a trinity of persons. 
and that we are called to live out that relational aspect. And for me, what I'm going to walk away too from this is that following it, like putting, um, coping in our, my mental health as a top priority, it helps me to show up in the best, um, like in the best way that I can at that moment. And then the people around me that it, learning about the importance of this and really trying to implement things that can help us um, have better mental health, it's only going to help us imitate the Trinity better, fulfill our calling. I love the way that you said that, sister. And I think one of the things, the sisters, we um, it's my year of preparation for final vows. And so I'm about to write my last self-evaluation. I'm so excited I can't see straight. Um, but, so, but there's been themes in my self-evaluations over the years. Some of them, you know, are things that are not so lovely about, you know, my behaviors. And some of them are things that... Um, that I can bring to community different gifts. So it's just the truth. Like it's, it's some of it's lovely, some of it needs to work on. Um, but one of the things, like a big part of my coping plan for a long time was having my own counselor um, and my own spiritual director. And what I saw in like having those two relationships as a part of my coping plan was that my fear in relationships started to reduce. Mm. Right. And so I didn't have to be afraid in my relationships, which meant I could be more truthful. And so I found myself and the sisters reflected this to me. I didn't even realize it. They said, you know, you always come back. They say you may not get it right the first time, not even second or third. Right. But <laughs> on that fourth time, they say, you know, I'll come back. And I reflected like, well, why, why would I be able to go back? And it's because using having that coping plan helped me to be less afraid to go back. You know, like I'm not, I'm not going to lose out in going back. Like I don't need to have the armor up. Like I can go back and show up in the relationship and keep talking and keep trying. So, yeah, showing up, I just think is very important. Yeah. And the way that you said that, that you um, don't have to be fearful, you know, that you learn to not be fearful in relationships, which opened you up to being truthful. Um. There's something else that, that you had talked about, and I'm really interested to hear this story. I love your stories, but you um, had mentioned about um, you wanted to give some personal witness about how implementing some coping plans helped you draw closer to Christ. And I know you shared a little bit, but I didn't know if there was another, another story. story. I love story time. <laughs> There's so many stories. I love stories too. And I love like trying to explain things using stories. I think it just kind of makes it simpler and then people can find what they need to find in the story. Um, and so the first one that comes to mind is um, I also have as a part of just my ongoing coping plan, having a, a sounding board, like a legit sounding board who will not play games with me. They know me, they've known me a long time and they don't mind telling me like, this is you being you again, okay? <laughs> so it's just, a, you know, if you have, if you're blessed to have like an old friend um, who can who can offer you that or someone who may be a newer friend, um, but has been able to, to see you, then this would be a great like opportunity um, to just kind of live better in relationships. And so I was having a conflict with one of my sisters once. Um, this is not in this house and Tyler. They're all lovely saints, okay? But <laughs> this is in another house somewhere else. Um, but, and I was done. I was like, I am done. And what I need is a strategy on how to like tolerate her, um, but never really engage her. That was like my game plan. 
And so I contacted my sounding board for this game plan, you know, help me put together this game plan on how to, you know, box this sister out of my life and tolerate her, um, you know, with a series of pleasantries or whatever it was my, was my idea. And um, she was said to me, you know, I think that you're not telling the truth. I'll never forget that she said, I think you're not telling the truth. And I was like, I love that. Let's go with that. I need to tell her the truth about what is wrong with her. Let's continue with that thought. <laughs> she said to me, she was like, um, no, I mean, she's like, I think you're not telling yourself the truth um, about like what's really bothering you in this relationship, what's really hurting you. Like your, your guard is up, your armor's up, like you're just, you're all ready to fight, but like what's really true and what's really going on. And so um, I was able to do that and go back and tell the truth for myself in that relationship. And I mean, we're, we're very close. We're not living in a series of pleasant trees, me and that sister. Um, that's just an example where an aspect of my coping plan, having a sounding board, like a truthful friendship, not where they're going to tell me what I want to hear all the time, uh, but where they'll challenge me um, was, was helpful. And then like that meant I was living out my community life. And this was very much associated with the gospel, right? The mission of the gospel, because I see that I just in my own life as a sister, I deeply see um, the mission of Christ, you know, that they may be one because we don't choose to live with each other. Um, and so to be able to go back, you know, in relationships with people that we didn't choose to live with and make peace um, and love one another, like this is the gospel, you know, made real in our life. And so that friend was a part of my coping plan. She called me to truth. Um, she helped me to see, to cope with the difficult situation uh, by admitting what was going on in myself, like, and then took me back, you know? And so this was very like gospel oriented. So. That's beautiful. And I know in our, in part two, we're going to talk a little bit more about establishing a coping plan. Mm -hmm. And I've never heard of that, like a coping plan. I've just heard of coping skills. Like you put, you're stressed out, you pick a scale out of a coping skills hat, you know? Um, so I'm really looking forward to sort of diving into that in part two. It's not just ice cream. Or well, that's what I've it. tried, which is probably why. <laughs> there you go. There's a better way. <laughs> yeah. Ice cream is pretty good, though. It is. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but I know we are sort of nearing the end of this first part. And when we just sit down together and we kind of uh, start hashing this out, we never know quite exactly where it's going to go. But before we end part one of this sort of coping series, um, is there anything else that for this part that you um, want to share? I'm trying to think. I mean, particularly for this part, no, I just, I mean, in this part, I feel like if I had to give it like a kind of like a summary it's just that you know get allow ourselves to live well like allow ourselves to live fully like fully embodied um and and I'm just grateful that y'all are doing this like encouraging people who want to grow in their their faith by knowing their faith we need to know our faith right um but then also like all the other all the other aspects like you said intellect will and passions um so that we can you know image the trinity more closely like ever more closely um and that's in scriptures degree by degree right being transformed into christ degree by degree so 
Do you want to give any sort of teaser as to all of the excitement that's going to be in part two so people know to be on the lookout? So in part two will be definitely more practical. We're going to talk about like why, what I don't, I don't, coping skills, I'll teach them. There's stuff you can do in crisis that'll take some of the steam off the situation. But I honestly feel like trying to implement a coping skill you rarely ever use in the heat of the moment is the stuff of a Saturday Night Live skit. Like this is the stuff that comedy's made of. Like my child is screaming and I'm like, do 10 belly breaths. <laughs> Not trying to hear you. Um, so that's why I really, I teach coping plans and because those, those, if it's part of the daily living, it's more likely to be helpful to you in the heat of the moment. Mm -hmm. I know we're in this, we're not out of the struggles of what quarantine has brought and what coronavirus has brought and stay at home or like all kinds of struggles have come from that. And we're not out of that. And a lot of us entered into that without coping plans. So we will talk about some things that you can do to take the steam off. And then we'll also talk about the science of um, why just implementing coping skills in the heat of the moment is not going to be best for us. There's like actual brain science behind that. And so we'll talk some about that too. Well, I know I can't wait because sometimes there's a lot of steam at my house. Same. <laughs> Same. We are very human at the Johnston house. <laughs> yes. This convent too. <laughs> I love that. I love that. Well, thank you so much, sister. This is a, personally, this is all very helpful and I'm really excited about part two as well. And um, as Mickey said, you know, stay, stay tuned everyone for part two. Um, one thing we wanted to invite you to do is to visit the St. Philip Institute website. Mickey and I have been doing podcast episodes, but the Institute does more than maybe what you see on our Facebook page. So if you go to stphilipinstitute.org, um, check out our store. We've got some great catechetical materials, some great artwork uh, that um, Robert Prusratz has uh, has done for us. Um, but yeah, just take a take a look around if uh, supporting the St. Philip Institute so that we can continue offering little workshops like this or mini-sodes like this uh, is something that you feel called to do there's a donate button or just praying for us would be great as well. Um, and finally, like Mickey and I are, are really wanting to continue these, uh, these mini-sodes as we're calling them right now, or we're discerning where God's leading us with these conversations. Um, but let us know what you want to hear because <laughs> Sister Josephine has been extremely helpful. We, we've done episodes on self-care, but let us know what would speak to your experience of faith and family life. Sister Josephine, thank you so much for coming. And if you could do us one last honor and close us in prayer, we'd greatly appreciate it. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Uh, Lord, I thank you um, first, particularly for these two women, um, for their families, and for the mission of St. Philip Institute and all that it's doing to, to provide catechesis and evangelization to this diocese and to the world. Um, I just want to ask your blessing on all who hear this. Um, help them find you in it, whatever you would like for them to find in it, Lord, um, and whatever it is they need at this time. Uh, we thank you for all of the gifts and blessings you have given us, um, and we continue to ask the help of your mother, particularly in this month of May, as we pray together. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you so much, sister. Thank you. <laughs>